Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Busy afternoon coming up. It's a Monday. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, and you. Entire show is brought to you by um, Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at mslandbank.com where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind and you're in North Mississippi, then Mississippi Land Bank is worth a call or worth a visit because they know what they're doing. They understand that sometimes land financing can take a little bit of creativity. Maybe it's a special product to handle the financing, or maybe it's just it's uh, kind of an unconventional loan. Well, Mississippi Land Bank can help with all of those things. Again, if you're in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Let's go ahead and open up the C Spire text line to you as we get started this afternoon. 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line. C Spire, customer inspired. Glad to uh, glad to have you all back, uh, everybody back in one place, kind of. Hey, Dad is in Starkville. He was in Auburn on Saturday. Rippy is with me here in Oxford. He was in Fayetteville on Saturday. Borky is in Jackson. That is home base where he was. Well, he was not there on Saturday, but he's back now. <laughs> so we've all made it back. Borky, how was the weekend? Quick trip for you to uh, what, South Georgia? Yeah, St. Simons Island, Georgia. Uh, an old college buddy of mine got married there over the weekend. Did the old 6 a.m. flight Saturday, 6 a.m. flight Sunday thing. Whee! I am still exhausted, but it was. that's a beautiful place. And as mm-hmm. everybody was pulling up to the venue, it, the reception was at a country club there. Jonathan Bird was putting his clubs in the bag, and Davis Love the Third was at the wedding. So that was that was kind of cool. Worth the the two six a.m. flights, I guess. There you go. Uh, it's kind of a, a golfer's haven, even if you're just there for uh, I don't know, like eighteen hours for a wedding. So uh, good for you. Hey, Dad, you made it home from Auburn, okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm back back in Starkville. Uh, just I guess I missed that that's really bad severe weather, and obviously we're thinking about those people over there. Uh, all those tornadoes that went through Lee County, but made it back and uh, yeah, ready for a, a very busy week here uh, in Starville for Mississippi State. Yeah, certainly sad and disturbing and scary news out of the state of Alabama with uh, the severe weather, the tornadoes, and uh, a really high loss of life total um, in and around Lee County, Alabama. Our thoughts and our prayers go to uh, the folks in the aftermath of that storm. you got people that have lost loved ones, certainly tons of destruction, and a lot of, uh, a lot of trying to kind of put your life back together uh, that has to happen. We are certainly in the state of Mississippi, no strangers to uh, severe weather. This time, though, it hits just, uh, just one state to our east. Um, Borky, 
uh, hey, Dad, we've gotten their weekend. Rippy, uh, you were in Fayetteville over the weekend and uh, made it back okay. Long drive home on uh, on Saturday night after a tough loss for Ole Miss. It was a long drive back. It's like you forget how long it is. You think you're in Little Rock and like almost there, and you're just not at all. <laughs> so long drive back, but worth the trip. A lot of news out of the Combine this weekend. Some guys from the state of Mississippi absolutely showed out and probably made some money in the process. D.K. Metcalf, uh, for his size, the fastest wide receiver that's ever run the 40-yard dash at the Combine, for his size. Montez Sweat, fastest defensive lineman in the history of the Combine. You know, hey, Dad, it feels like going back to August or September, we've been talking about, okay, Montez Sweat could be a first-round draft pick, and then it becomes pretty clear that he's a first-round draft pick and now he goes and performs at the Combine, and not only is he a first-round pick, he's probably, at this point, a top 15, maybe even a top 10 pick. Are you familiar with the uh, the meme of the guy sitting at the table, and it says it has like a, a topic, and then it says, change my mind? Right, have you seen that? Mm, I, uh, yeah, Jason so. Crowder is the one who does those, right? Uh, I'm not name? sure who it is, but... But it's 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 you know you just change it to whatever you want it to be. A hot dog is not a sandwich. Change my mind. Mine now is Montez Sweat should go in front of Nick Bosa. Change my mind. Yeah, I don't think I'm going with that hot take. I'm going but with. I mean, I got the film taking him in the top ten would make a heck of a lot of sense. I've got the film that shows him dominating the SEC, and now I've got these combine measurables. Why would I not? put my, my, my future franchise pick into Montez Sweat. I think, he, I think he showed he's going to be a big-time pro this weekend. Yeah, I don't think there's any question he's uh, going to be a big-time pro, uh, You know, assuming that he stays healthy and gets into a, uh, to a good situation. No question at all. And not only is he going to be a big-time pro, he's going to be wealthy. Yeah. Wealthy, 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 based on where he is going to uh, be drafted. A um, bunch of guys, and we'll get into that as we go through the show this afternoon, about uh, folks that had big combines, and maybe uh, a, a guy or two with the disappointing combine. Uh, Zedrick Woods popped onto the uh, the radar of folks today, maybe more so than he had been, ran the fastest time of the entire combine this uh, year with a 4.29 40-yard dash. So that is moving. You think That's... we're ever going to get to a four-flat? Uh, is Usain Bolt going to start playing football? <laughs> hey, I wouldn't be surprised if people are recruiting Jamaica right now. Yeah, uh, might uh, might make sense. Mississippi State drops one on the road against Auburn. They were down a bunch late, and then they made it close. Looked like Auburn was trying to give the ball game away in the last five minutes of that game. They make just enough plays down the stretch to hang on and get a five-point win over Mississippi State. Ole Miss had a three-point lead. Late in the ball game, and for the second time this week, they drop a close one. Ole Miss loses two games this past week by a combined three points. The uh, the one point loss, or excuse me, the two point loss to Tennessee, looks a whole lot better than the one point loss on the road to an Arkansas team that had uh, had lost six in a row. And yet, according to Joe Lunardi in bracketology, Ole Miss still in the field of sixty eight. Mississippi State not only in the field but currently projected as a six seed. What about baseball this weekend? Mississippi State goes to Frisco, and they're scheduled to play three games. They only get two in, but hey, Dad, the two that they got in were pretty doggone impressive. Yeah, uh, nice come-from-behind win on Friday against Sam Houston State. And then JT Ginn, man, SEC Freshman of the Week for the second time in three weeks, uh, goes out there and really shuts down that Texas Tech 
uh, batting order, which we know is one of the best in the country. That's a lineup that just mashes Josh Jung, one of the top uh, players in the country. And uh, only three hits for the Red Raiders in that game, 4-2. And that was enough to launch MSU into the top ten. I think they're a consensus top ten team. Uh, the last poll they were waiting on was the coaches poll, which had not come in uh, when I spoke to uh, Coach Lamonis earlier this afternoon. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, the coaches poll does a preseason top 25, and then they don't put out another poll until, what, like week four? I think that might be right. So... Maybe that's not what. Maybe he maybe he misspoke. I don't know. But they they were they had been top ten in every poll that had come out. You know, D one perfect game, Baseball America, so on and so forth. Yeah, uh, Rippy Ole Miss gets a sweep of Long Beach State. Long Beach, a a team that had had offensive struggles to say the least coming into the weekend. They swung the bats a little bit better. Uh, Ole Miss gets a walk off win in game two. Thomas Dillard hits a uh, a home run over the right field wall in the bottom of the ninth inning to uh, win game two seven to six. Rebels won the uh, the first one on Friday, and then uh, they sweep the doubleheader on Saturday in frigid temperatures. Yeah, and maybe learned a little bit for better or for worse with the pitching situation behind what Etheridge is going to look like. I, I mean, from the sounds of it and from the very little I was able to catch, it looked like Zach Phillips was a little better, struggled a little bit, and then Gunnar Hoagland better on Sunday. I, mean, I guess not Sunday. Game three. Game three. Um, so that was really kind of where probably most of the attention was um you know Hoagland gives up a run on six hits in five innings certainly a step forward from where he'd been so still trying to figure it out that was where most of my attention would have been if I were Mike Bianco on over the weekend tough weekend in Hattiesburg as Southern Miss loses two games to Gonzaga the third game got canceled because of uh, of weather issues and so hard week for the uh, for the Golden Eagles losing in the midweek to UNO and uh, hoping to bounce back on the weekend against a Gonzaga team that uh, a year ago was a postseason team, they're not able to do that. And so when we talk to Scott Barry in a little while, uh, we'll talk to him about, I- I'm sure, what he's doing right now, which is searching for answers and trying to kind of figure out the, uh, the recipe to get his team uh, moving in the right direction. The NFL is discussing the possibility of adding a sky judge. They're taking a page right out of the AAF. Borky, are you excited about this? I am, and it sounds like it's got some serious positive momentum to the point where people around the league expect it to happen. And uh, John Harbaugh and the Baltimore Ravens were the one that uh, put this submission in, and it sounds like it's going to happen. If you're a football fan, are you more excited about that specifically or just the idea that the NFL is willing to adopt some of the stuff the AAF is doing that appears to be better? The latter, for sure. I think that's a uh, that's a reasonable question to uh, to ask. We've got winners and losers coming up just after 4 o'clock. Scott Berry will join us in about 15 minutes. We'll also chat with Mike Bianco in the 5 o'clock hour. Chris Lamonis has had to reschedule for hopefully later in the week. And Mississippi State's women, say it again, SEC Championship. Back-to-back SEC regular season champs for the Dogs under Vic Schaefer. Don't know if three hours is enough today. We'll jump into some baseball when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Greg sent us a message uh, on the C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. Greg, appreciate you doing that. Something wanted to get to uh, this afternoon uh, regardless, state of Mississippi lost a good one over the weekend. Jack Gregory Jr., who was uh, a, an NFL player, a farmer, a businessman, a philanthropist, and was chief executive officer of the Mississippi Association of Supervisors, 
uh, passed away on Saturday, early Saturday morning. Uh, all his friends knew him as Big Jack, giant of a man who was born in Tupelo to the late Earl Jackson, Jack Gregory, who was also uh, an NFL All-Star. So a uh, uh, Jack Gregory Jr. was a second-generation NFL player, graduated from Oklahoma High School in 1962, uh, a standout in football and track and in basketball as well. Began his college football career at UT Chattanooga, where he was an honorable mention All-American. Then after his junior year, uh, despite being drafted after his junior season, he transferred to Delta State, graduated and set the uh, Delta State college record with 557 yards receiving as a tight end, played with the Cleveland Browns, um, was a dominating defensive end, played on the defensive line in the NFL, and uh, went on to become a talent scout with the uh, with the Denver Broncos as well. Also played with the uh, the New York Giants. Uh, just a uh, uh, an all around um, good guy. Best season in the NFL: twenty one sacks and runner up for the defensive player of the year award in the NFL in nineteen seventy two with the uh, with the New York Football Giants. So uh, to the entire Gregory family. I know he had tons and tons of friends uh, in addition to his family all over the uh, the state of Mississippi, especially in North Mississippi. We pass along our condolences and uh, our thoughts and wishes with you as you uh, you continue to uh, mourn the loss of Big Jack, uh, Jack Gregory, passing away over the weekend. We're glad to have you along this afternoon. Let's talk a little baseball. Mississippi State on the road this weekend in Frisco, Texas, playing in the Frisco Classic, and despite the event being shortened, um, by weather and not getting that third game in against Nebraska. A couple of wins, hey, Dad, for the Bulldogs. We followed along on Friday afternoon the uh, the 5-4 to four win against Sam Houston State. That was one that was tight and was kind of back and forth a little bit, but Mississippi State able to uh, hang on and get the win at the end and another good outing by Cole Gordon to finish it off. Yeah, and I asked Chris Lamonis about that, uh, about Cole Gordon today at, uh, at our availability, and I said, if I said, who's your closer, would you say Cole Gordon? He said, yeah, right now that is the case. But he, he's very happy with the depth of his bullpen. But Cole Gordon is, is you know, it's, it's such a good story, too. I mean, this is a guy that a year ago he couldn't get anybody out. You know, he was the guy that State would bring into games sometimes just to eat innings, you know, in a game that was out of hand one way or the other. And for whatever reason in the Tallahassee Regional, Something just clicked with him, and since then he's now thrown 21 and two-thirds of scoreless relief. Uh, And he is just – he really looks confident. He looks locked in. And he's given MSU, you know, something they weren't relying on. You know, Cole Gordon last year went through senior day ceremonies and was prepared to not play baseball this year, maybe leave MSU as a grad transfer or just go ahead and, you know, get out into the real world. But decided to make the comeback, and, boy, I bet Chris Lamonis is really glad that he did. So he got the save on Friday against Sam Houston State, came back in and got a save on Saturday against Texas Tech as well. J.T. Ginn, now 3-0 and on the year. You mentioned uh, a little bit earlier that J.T. Ginn, uh, for the second time in three weeks, earns SEC Freshman of the Week honors. Seven innings, three hits, two earned runs, eight strikeouts, and just one walk in the ball game. And a lot of guys were talking about Colby White, a yeah. flamethrower out of the bullpen, uh, that earlier this season was clocked at 97 miles an hour. Uh, I know Aaron Fitt was at the game, said he wasn't behind home plate with a radar gun, but looked like velocity was uh, was there again. couple of strikeouts for him. Mississippi State combined as a staff to throw 12 strikeouts 
against uh, a Texas Tech team that's struggling offensively early, but people had huge expectations for coming into the year. Yeah, actually, on on Friday's game, they only struck out nine, which was the first time all season State had not struck out ten batters in a game. That was a pretty good streak uh, they yeah. had going there. And you mentioned Colby White, and my goodness, my, I, every time I see this guy pitch, he's 96, 97, and I keep asking myself the same question. Why is he in college? Who? Why, why, why was this guy not a high draft choice with the with the heat he can throw? Uh, when we talked to Lamonis today, he talked about White. You know, he had that velocity in the in the uh, fall, but he didn't have the control that he has right now. He's throwing ninety six, ninety seven, but he's throwing strikes, and guys aren't aren't able to catch up with him. So right now, he is just a, a monster, and it looks like he's sort of settling into maybe of a setup man kind of role, the guy who might bridge from between the starters, maybe give you an inning or two, but he'll he'll get you to Cole Gordon there in the, in the ninth. And, and your question about why he's playing college baseball is a good one because he spent two years at the community college level. He was at Pearl River for a couple of seasons and put up big numbers there. So he's actually a junior now for uh, for Mississippi State. Played at West Marion High School. Uh, lists his hometown as Foxworth, Mississippi. You spent much time in Foxworth? Map, I'll tell you that. I have no idea where Foxworth, Mississippi. All, all apologies to the fine people of Foxworth, but I have no idea where you are in the state. So Mississippi State now 10-1 and overall. They've got a couple of midweek games coming up. And uh, by the way, for both Mississippi State and Ole Miss, you have a, a time change for the midweek games. Both teams are going to play two midweek games, and all four of those games are going to begin at 3 o'clock. Mississippi State will play East Carolina tomorrow at 3, and then we'll play Arkansas Pine Bluff at 3 o'clock on Wednesday Uh, Ole Miss will play East Carolina on Wednesday. They've got Little Rock tomorrow. Time has been moved up to 3 o'clock, and then their Wednesday game against East Carolina also has been moved up to 3 o'clock, and that is because it's colder than the North Pole right now (laughs) as we roll into full-on March. What are we doing? Isn't this baseball weather? 70 and sunny, isn't that what you said? It's just for opening day. No, opening, opening day 70 and sunny, and then it, we, it backslides a little bit before we, we warm up We again. need something like that to happen for us, yeah. I'm excited about this East Carolina game. I mean, I don't remember the last time State had a, a midweek game with the two top 20 teams. East Carolina is 18th in the D1 poll, and Cliff Guy went out there, obviously, you know, who was uh, a really good coach, coached at Ole Miss for, for a number of years. So, uh, yeah, that's an exciting matchup, and it looks like if I if – I, I'm pretty sure I understood what Chris Lamos was saying. That Keegan James, who did not get the start on Sunday because of the cancellation out there, uh, will get the start on Tuesday against East Carolina. Amanda in Pike County tells us that Foxworth is near Columbia on the Pearl River, and somebody else from the 601, I think this is Richard, says Foxworth just west of Columbia. So right. now you know. In case you're looking for Foxworth, Mississippi, you can find it. Just go to Columbia and ask somebody for directions. Head west. For, uh, yeah, go to Columbia and head west. You will uh, you will find can't miss it. Foxworth, Mississippi, as well. Let's dive a little deeper on Ole Miss, and we'll uh, we'll do that more later in the show this afternoon. Uh, baseball over the weekend for the Rebels. They get a sweep, which is if you're an Ole Miss fan, what you expected and what they needed to do going into the weekend against a team that was uh, was winless. Yeah, I mean you you almost had to sweep it to avoid a fairly significant RPI hit because of how badly Long Beach State has struggled. Granted, three of those games were against Florida, but still really struggled to hit the ball. They actually pitch it pretty well. It's by far and away probably the strongest team Ole Miss will see in the non-conference on the mound, but really, really struggled to score runs. I think they had 10 total runs 
and four RBI as a team coming into the series. So that that dog doesn't really hunt. So Ole Miss had to work for it a little bit in the middle middle game, but Thomas Dillard walks it off and kind of saves them and, and then took care of it on the third game. Parker Caracy, some control issues. Uh, velocity has been there. I think maybe going into the start of the season there were some questions about that. The velocity's been there. He's just walked guys. Yeah, and I think velocity going into the year was the primary concern or what they wanted to see. Um, I didn't catch much of his outing this weekend being in Fayetteville and kind of driving back and forth, what have you. But, yeah, I mean, it's something to keep an eye on going forward because they're going to need him to be good on the back end of the bullpen. There are other options there, but I don't think Mike Bianco would like to kind of reshuffle some of the roles that are kind of hardening in the bullpen as is. Obviously, best-case scenario, you'd like to have Crazy as the closer. What about Ryan Olenek as a pitcher? They're going to I mean, look, he throws 91 with a pretty good breaking ball and a changeup that we haven't really seen yet, but apparently throws it at, you know, with the same same level of confidence as the breaking ball. So, I mean, it, it seems it seems silly or it seems funny, but I mean, they're going to I think they're going to find some sort of fairly significant role for him pitching it whether it's him kind of eating up innings in a game that's kind of out of reach. Um, to save the bullpen, or just if he can come in and eat two innings in the midweek, and that's two less innings that that is accredited to the pitching staff through the course of a 36-inning week, or in this case longer than that of, what, 45-inning week, it helps a lot and can go a long way. So you have to be careful when you put him in because you lose the DH, obviously, when he goes into the game, so you have to kind of be careful strategically, but I think he will find a role on the mound. Do do you think it's just in... Like you're saying, an eight-innings role, or can he pitch his way into a more significant role coming out of the... I think with more success, they'll definitely be open to, to a better... Not better, more significant role beyond just the eating innings. I think that's what they thought it would be at first, but I don't think they pictured it being this successful off the bat. We'll talk with Mike Bianco about that a little bit later this afternoon. Southern Miss dropped a pair of games this weekend to Gonzaga. Weather played havoc. We'll talk with Scott Barry when we come back on the Farm Bureau phone line. Glad to have you along in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, glad to have you along. And glad to welcome Scott Berry on the Farm Bureau phone line to Sports Talk Mississippi. Scott, always uh, appreciate you joining us on Mondays. I'm assuming a disappointing weekend on on multiple fronts, not just in results, but in the fact that you weren't able to get three games in uh, with Gonzaga coming a long way to, to try and get to Hattiesburg to play baseball this weekend. Yeah, Richard, it was disappointing, in all honesty. Uh, you know, when it rains, it pours literally sometimes. So yeah. uh, that's kind of what it did. And, uh, you know, we uh, dropped a couple of games against them. Had to double up on Saturday. Field conditions uh, just didn't allow us to play on Friday. So uh dropped those two games. And uh, yesterday we were ahead there going into the bottom of the fourth when, when the rains came again and we just it wasn't playable. On the other side of it, we have a lot of rain and, uh, you know, had some momentum going and was hoping to salvage at least one game of the series, but didn't didn't happen. Stevie Powers starts game one for you, only goes a third of an inning. He threw nine pitches, gave up the one run, walked a batter, comes out of the game with an injury. What What's his status at this point? How significant is the injury? What happened? Well, we hope not. We hope it's not significant. You know, he, he said he had no... No problem warming up anything. In the first pitch he threw of the game, he felt something in his lap muscle, 
there on the throwing side, and it continued to just kind of contract and, and prove discomfort with each pitch that he threw. And then finally it was just kind of like he kept looking in the dugout and kind of shook his arm a little bit, just kind of leaning over. And, of course, I knew as well as did our pitching coach, Coach Ostrander, that something wasn't right and he wasn't located. So, you know, in game one, all of a sudden, you know, we have to go to the bullpen. So that kind of kind of started the snowball a little bit, I guess I should say. But, you know, hopefully uh, hopefully he'll be okay. I don't know if he'll be able to go this weekend or not. Uh, we're still just kind of evaluating him to see uh, see where that is. But yeah. you know, Walker Powell was supposed to be our game one starter, and he had a little discomfort last week uh, on Monday after having pitched a really good game against Mississippi State on that Friday. and So that's why we pushed him to Sunday to just really give him more time to rest and, and to make sure that he was good to go on the weekend. I know you're not in the excuse-making business. When you're down Walker Powell, you get a third of an inning out of Stevie Powers, and Matt Walner's still not in a spot where he can go in the rotation. That uh, that presents some challenges for it, I guess, one, in managing a bullpen, and two, just in being able to go out and get outs. Well, it does, especially against you know the schedule that we're playing right now. I mean, it's not you know Division One baseball. There's not any gimmies out there anyway. But you know when you're you know what I felt like was a really good Gonzaga team who had really good pitching coming in against us. They really competed well, and uh, you know certainly you'd like to have all hands on deck. And but you know as well as I do, anytime you involved in athletics, you're not guaranteed a full full bill of health on, on a whole roster, and certainly sure. that's where we are right now, and you're right, we're not going to make it as an excuse, it doesn't make it difficult, doesn't make it challenging, obviously it does, but, you know, it is what it is, and you control what you can, and don't worry about what you can't, and, and every day we go out, we've got to compete and do the little things right to help us win ball games. Scott, I know you're not used to, to seeing your teams go out and only be able to score two or three runs in a ball game. Kind of changed in game two on Saturday. You're tied at six, go to extra innings, end up putting up eight runs on the board, uh, but lose that one 10 to eight. You mentioned a little momentum you felt like maybe yesterday with the lead. D- did you find anything offensively in that second game that you think can kind of carry forward for this team swinging the bats? Well, you know, uh, we've got a five-game losing streak, Richard, right now, and I don't remember the last time that that's happened. But you know, of the four, uh, of the five games, four of them we could have easily come out on the winning side of it. That's what's disappointing and frustrating. We were right there several times uh, that we didn't come up offensively with the with the big hit, whether it be with two outs, uh, you know, those back breakers, those momentum. Getters, whether it be late in the game to to win a game and, and a walk off like like we were in extra innings with Gonzaga, but uh, you know it just it didn't it didn't happen. And but moving forward, we did see some really positive things yesterday in the four inning game where we we actually got those hits that we had been eluding us in those other games. And hopefully that that taste of success. We'll kind of move this team offensively where we feel like that we can be and, and obviously where we should be to help us win games. Scott Barry on your radio on the Farm Bureau phone line. Southern Miss dropped a couple this weekend to, uh, to Gonzaga. When you're a head coach in college, obviously you got to be a coach and you got to be the manager of the team. Sometimes you got to be a dad figure. Sometimes you got to be part-time psychologist. D- does that factor in when, like you mentioned a second ago, you've lost five in a row that, that you kind of have to – 
maybe take a little bit different approach with your guys to, to keep them in it mentally? Or are you early enough in the season where, where that just doesn't really matter yet? Well, I think one thing that you can't do as a team is you can't just uh, put your head down and say, oh, me. Because at the end of the day, you know, nobody's feeling sorry for you except yourself. You know, it's like I told them uh, the other day. We're, our bus and our team, our staff and everything has run off in the ditch. And we're sitting there kind of hoping somebody will help us get out of that ditch when nobody's going to help us. We've got to help ourselves and we've got to figure out how collectively – uh, our group can get out there and push that bus out of the ditch and create some momentum on that on that road to get us going back. And the only people that can do that is ourselves. So psych- psychologically, I mean, certainly it's it's a challenge of of going out and competing and concentrating and and understanding uh, and how to deal with some adversity and and how it parallels life and a lot of things. I mean, there's not everything that goes, you know. 100% correct for anybody. And, you know, once once you leave the game of baseball, certainly the difficulties and the struggles that, that you experience there will help you in your, in your own life and, and with your own family. So, you know, those are the things. When you mentioned father figure, dad, all that, that's what I try to talk to them about. You know, this is, this is part of the journey, and this is what's going to make us stronger. And, you know, you have to go through failures if you want to come out stronger. And certainly I feel like that, that's where this journey is right now, and, and hopefully we will. And if you pull it back to just purely a wins versus losses perspective, this is an important week coming up for you. Southern, uh, excuse me, Southern University at your place on Wednesday, and then a three-game series with Holy Cross. I guess one, you need the weather to cooperate, and two, I mean, we could very easily be sitting here a week from now instead of talking about a five-game losing streak. I know from your perspective, hopefully, talking about a four-game win streak. Well, you're right, and that's that, that's certainly what we're looking at. But you know, as we've and we as we've spoken before, the most important game on our schedule is is Southern University. Which I'm glad that you said it's Wednesday because on the schedule it is it, it was slated for tomorrow on Tuesday. But because of field conditions and the, and the awful rain and just saturated grounds that we have, we've moved that to Wednesday at six o'clock. And then of course we've got challenging. Uh, series this weekend with, with Holy Cross and weather issues that could affect that one as well mm. with, with 80% chance on Saturday and 60% on, on Sunday. But, you know, we go back to it, Richard. Control what you can control and don't worry what you can't. And that's what we have to do. Right now as a team, we have to control winning baseball games and trying to do everything in our power to do the things that allow you to do just that. And that's win games. I guess when I was outlining coaching responsibilities, I, I left one out. It's a part-time weatherman that, that you have to be. And I, I don't know how you feel, but that groundhog, not real high on my list right now after predicting hey, spring I, was coming. You know what? The way those dudes are that, and, and those black coats and ties, when they're picking them up in the morning and no telling how long they've been up and what they've <laughs> been drinking, I don't know if they uh, misread that, that, that groundhog or didn't understand exactly <laughs> what they were saying because – Right now, I question it as well. So, uh, but yeah, I don't know at 56 years of age if it's too late to go back and be a basketball coach or not. But <laughs> I know one thing: the weather seems to never play in this, in, in, against them on anything. So. All I know, Scott, is we need to get one of those Abraham Lincoln style top hats that those guys wear, and let you wear that in the third base coaching box. Hey, if he'll get us a win, I'll wear it. <laughs> I hear you. Scott, really appreciate your time. Uh, We'll be following along this week and look forward to talking to you next Monday. Thank you, Richard.
That's Scott Berry, head baseball coach at Southern Miss, trying to get his guys moving in the right direction. After a game one win last week against Mississippi State in 10 innings, they've lost five in a row. Lost the back two to Mississippi State, midweek game to UNO, and then only able to play two of the three scheduled against Gonzaga this weekend. And you heard him talk about it. You know, Walker Powell, who pitched really, really well against Mississippi State, unable to go. And then Stevie Powers goes a third of an inning and has uh, tightness in his lap muscle and so throws only nine pitches in game one against Gonzaga. And you're obviously without Matt Waltner in the rotation. Not an ideal set of circumstances for uh, for Southern Miss. I guess the good news is, is it's really early in the season. And you hope you can get some guys healthy and, uh, and kind of get a win streak going. Appreciate Scott joining us on Mondays. Uh, for his weekly chat on the Farm Bureau phone line. we got more coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. When we come back, we'll talk a little hoops, women's style. As yesterday, Mississippi State went to Columbia, South Carolina, had a close one. Shockingly, people were not terribly pleased with the officiating in the game. Different sport, same reaction, but a win nonetheless for Mississippi State. We'll get to that when we come back. Hey, Dad, did you watch Beverly Hills 90210? You know, I, I did not. did not. Really? Nah, it wasn't my, wasn't my thing. Luke Perry passed away today, 52 years old. That. Died of a complications uh, resulting from a stroke that he had a few weeks ago. Borky, you and Rippy are both too young for that, right? Oh, I've seen it. Um, Reruns? Yeah, probably not when it was actually airing in, in its heyday or anything, but I've seen it and heard of it. He was the man. He had a, he had a good run of, of of being you know the the guy that all the ladies wanted to be with. Yeah, he was kind of the bad guy too. Yeah, I mean, he was yeah, the bad yeah, guy that, that everybody yeah. liked. I mean, Brandon was the one that was all buttoned up. Stephen or Steve was kind of a uh, he wasn't the smartest guy. <laughs> David was like the music guy. He was the bad guy with the big heart, which is that's yeah. that's, you know that's that's yeah. the, what you want, you know. A lot, lot of depth to uh, to his character. Those were big nights when you had nine zero two one zero followed by Melrose Place. Oh yeah, <laughs> not I'm speaking sure. your language at all. But, yeah, you, you. This is it's finally happened, everybody. We've gotten into a pop culture thing where Richard has the knowledge and I do not. And Rippy's just quiet on the side. Yeah, not sure what this one is, but R.I.P. Jeez, <laughs> oh, it's a little cold. What do you? I mean, I don't. I. I I've never. I've never seen nine zero two one zero. I've certainly heard of it, but. Yeah, Rippy oh. just reminded me of Mike Francesa. So <laughs> no, so, I didn't so say Stan who Lee, cares. <laughs> do you remember this, Richard? Care. So when Stan Lee died, somebody called in. Stan Lee's the creator of Marvel Comics, and guy calls and says, "Hey, Mike, Stan Lee died today." And Mike goes, "Who?" And the guy goes, "Stan Lee, the creator of Marvel Comics." And Mike Francesa's response is, "Oh, who cares?" That was like it by the caller too. That was like at all time just Jesus drop. Like he goes, you don't know who that is, and he goes, who's Stan Lee? And the caller just goes, Jesus. And then, jeez, was he Irish? What just happened? Uh, That's rippy uh, now. Back to back regular season titles. I know tournament championships are a big deal in basketball because that's what gets you the automatic bid. You don't have to have an automatic bid when you're the number five team in the country, and you are potentially a number one overall seed. Mississippi State 68, South Carolina 64, in front of 18,000 yesterday at Colonial Life Arena. Good win 
for the Bulldogs. Huge win. And, you know, to go, you know, obviously the SEC set that up, right? They wanted to have the two best teams in the conference play in the, in the final game of the season, and then they, they had to assume it more than likely would decide a conference championship, and it did. And, and a game that State, you know, got behind early, and South Carolina was making a lot of shots, and Tierra McCallum couldn't really get involved. And then Vic Schaefer just decided he had to, to do something. So there was a bad – I know you're not going to believe this, but there was a bad call. And uh, – <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And and Schaefer that said, that's that's it. And he lit up, and he got a technical. And from that point, Mississippi State grabbed control of the basketball game and never really let it back. Tierra McCowan believed she finished with another double double. I think that's that might be sixty for the season for her. I'll have to double check that. She was named SEC Player of the Week again, fifth time this year. And Mississippi State is how many? outright five. No, how many double doubles? I think it's sixty for a career. Oh, for career. I thought you said for the season. I was like, oh, no, if I said for the season, I'm si- sorry. Sixty double doubles this season. That is some. That's we, some good. Math. We count the 2020 games as two. Well, you almost had that yesterday. 18 yeah. and 17 for Tierra McCallan. And then Unreal Howard has 13 and 16. Yeah. Those two players combined for 33 of Mississippi State's 51 rebounds, but that's a little deceiving because there are 11 team rebounds or dead ball rebounds that go in there as well. So that's remarkable. The funny stat of the year is that the all time leading rebounder for Mississippi State and Texas A&M play for Mississippi State. Mm. I, I, that's just a crazy, crazy. Howard kind of gets it done, huh? Yeah, she does. She has been, you know, when you look back at this season and you think, what would this team have looked like if she hadn't come to Mississippi State? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. As much as Tierra McCowan is the undisputed MVP of this team, you know, Howard and what she's brought to this team has been so huge. Uh, you know, I mean, she's she's basically another double double every night, and, and she's yeah. she's knocked down three point shots. She plays great defense, and she she plays a lot of energy, and and she's given McCowan a little backup there. And you know, this team lost four starters from a season ago, and all they've done is you know basically roll through the SEC all over again. And now they'll head to uh, to Greenville for the SEC tournament and try to win that. That's a championship they have not won. So we'll see if they can uh, can do that once again, basically in South Carolina's backyard. A lot of minutes out of the starters yesterday. Jazz Holmes plays 40 minutes in the game. McCowan goes 38. Howard goes 38. Espinosa Hunter and uh, Danbury both play 35 minutes in the game. Yeah. So there weren't a bunch of minutes off the bench. And just one other thought. Didn't make a ton of three-pointers. Didn't take a ton of three-pointers. Three of nine. It's a little bit different look for this year's team. Yeah, especially you know from last year with Johnson, Schaefer, and Vivian. They, they would, you know rain threes on opponents. This year has been more of the half-court game. Dan Barry and Holmes don't like to take a lot of threes, but they'll take a lot of, of jump shots. So, it's yeah, it's been more of a two-point kind of game for Mississippi State this year. SEC tournament is next. Mississippi State, the overall number one seed. They get the double bye, and we'll see if they can win it all in Greenville to go with the double-double regular season and tournament championship, back-to-back regular season championships for Vic Schaefer and Mississippi State. Winners and losers coming up next with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. we got a pretty classic case of hear what you want to hear going on on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed, and so we will circle back to a passing comment that Brian Haydad made about Montez Sweat and the fact that dissenting opinions are not allowed. That's coming up in just a little bit. Sports Talk Mississippi is brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank online, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, 
where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs, if you're in North Mississippi, maybe you're a farmer, got equipment needs, need to buy a piece of property, need to refinance an existing loan, or maybe it's a crop loan that you need, or you're not a farmer, but you want to buy a piece of property. Maybe you're going to build a dream house or put a cabin on it or have a nice little spot to turkey hunt this spring. Mmm, that sounds good. Well, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land for over a 100 years. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank. Richard Cross, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad, and Michael Borky with you right now. It is time for winners and losers. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. I'm a loser, baby. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Winners and losers from the weekend. I'm going to steal the low-hanging fruit right out of the gate if it's okay with you guys. Mississippi State women's basketball team. We just talked about them a couple of moments ago. Vic Schaefer's club loses only one game this year in the SEC. It was at home to Missouri. The rest of them... All W's, and it equates to a regular season championship. They did it in a difficult environment on the road yesterday, getting a 68-64 win over South Carolina to make it two regular season championships in a row. Hey, Dad pointed out just a minute ago that uh, they've not been able to get the elusive SEC tournament title. We'll see if they're able to pull that off this coming week. What else, boys? What goes in the winners category? Uh, it's. I thought you were going to start with this one, but I'll piggyback off of yours. Mississippi State fans that get to go to Greenville, South Carolina, best city in the in the United States of America that produces the best people. Uh, humble brag there. I am working on a tweet thread with all the recommendations. If you follow me, we'll retweet them. Great city. Enjoy your time. DK Metcalf and Montez Sweat. They were already going to be first-round picks, more likely than not, but uh, when you're the fastest wide receiver at your size in the history of the Combine and the fastest defensive lineman ever in the history of the Combine, you are winners. And also the people who helped you train for the Combine, they made a little bit of money this weekend as well. That's a good choice. Pretty impressive work by those guys. Hey, Dad, who's your winner? Uh, My winner is uh, making me a loser. Because uh, my winner is the Tennessee Volunteers. They took care of business against Kentucky on Saturday. Mm. Uh, really, really looked impressive. Looked like they shook off. You know, I, like we had said last week, I thought they looked a little bit vulnerable. They looked like the team we were seeing in the early part of the SEC schedule when we were asking, when are they going to lose? So uh, I'm going to give it to uh, Big Orange Nation and the Tennessee Volunteers. We, we predicted that game on Friday, didn't we? Th- three of you predicted it correctly. This Wait. guy did not. I thought, hold on, Borky, where did you fall on that one? I picked Tennessee. Maybe I wasn't paying attention. I was the only one that picked Kentucky. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I I didn't think that that one was going to be particularly close, and it turned out not to be. Uh, but, man, they were impressive. Um, and, you know, Jordan Bone playing at a high level, Grant Williams playing at a high level. Schofield has not had a monster game in the last couple of weeks. If they have one of those nights where Grant Williams and Schofield both are really locked in and make, ooh, look out. That's scary. That is scary. Rippy, you got a winner? I took all the Mississippi-related ones, so I'll go Keith Mitchell. Um, Kevin Mitchell? 
No. <laughs> I, I think there was some uh, some misunderstanding as to what his actual name was. Did you see the headline in the Palm Beach Post? Yeah, I, that's honestly just kind of a, I mean, I, can, I guess I can't say it on air. <laughs> kind of a jerk move? Jerk move, we'll call it that. Like it, But, I mean, he got 27, he drains a 15-footer on the 18th hole to avoid a playoff with Brooks Kepka and Ricky Fowler to cash a million-dollar paycheck and win your first tour event. Gets in the Masters. Gets in the PGA Championship. Good to be Keith Mitchell. Yeah, no doubt. And there were people that weren't getting his name right. And the headline, it said, No Name Champion? So with the way they restructured the tour schedule, the Honda Classic used to be like one of the top five, six strongest fields on tour that isn't a major. Some of the bigger names skipped to like basically picking between that and Bay Hill. You got the players coming up in March. Still a decently strong field, and they took exception to the fact that I guess they were used to seeing a stronger field and first-time winner wins, and so they said, no-name champion. Yeah, that's the uh, the local paper. Uh, how about that? All right, here's a loser for you. Everybody that was 9-6 and six and was vying for the number 4 seed <laughs> in the SEC tournament. Mississippi State, uh-uh. Ole Miss, uh-uh. Florida, nope. South Carolina, make it 4-4 four for four in the uh-uh category. Is it the biggest loser out of all that Florida? They just lost it home to Georgia, who had been inventing ways to lose games. Not only that, they got LSU and Kentucky for their final two after losing at home to Georgia. Bold strategy. What's what's the word there, Rippy? Suboptimal. There it is. It's less than ideal. So those four teams, um, if if you, you so now Instead of four teams playing for that number four spot in the double bye, you have five teams that are currently tied for fourth in the SEC. Mississippi State at nine and seven with Tennessee and A and M to play. Auburn at nine and seven with Bama on the road and UT. Ole Miss at nine and seven with Kentucky and a road trip to Missouri. Florida at nine and seven with LSU and Kentucky, and South Carolina at nine and seven on the road against A and M, and then Georgia. So of those five teams, you would say advantage South Carolina based on the opponent, but South Carolina's in a tailspin, Texas A&M's playing better, and Georgia hasn't quit playing hard against anybody. Who's got the advantage out of that group? It, it really you, is up in the air. It, I mean, it, you can't predict it, can you? No, no. It, it's going to be let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. Uh, what else? Borky, you got a loser? Yeah, Mac Brown. Okay, new head coach at North Carolina. I can see where this is going. Tell me more. Did you watch the combine this weekend? Mm-hmm. His new offensive coordinator averaged 22 points per game and had the worst red zone offense in all of college football with those dudes at his disposal. They either went the Google search route for offensive coordinator like Bowling Green, or maybe Mac Brown got DM'd some of the patented graphics that had been floating around this state for a while. Who's to say? <laughs> it's kind of coming off the top rope there. You guys are harsh. <laughs> hey, Dad, you have a loser? Yeah, and this is going to surprise you guys. I'm going to go with golf. But Tiger Woods pulling out of, uh, of the tournament this week. Uh, a neck strain. Anytime there's Tiger injury news, I immediately get anxious. Because he's finally back, and he's playing well, and now he's hurt. So hopefully it's – he says he has no long-term concerns. It's just one that's been bothering him. And he says he hopes to be back in time for the players, but we'll see. I'm just 
proud of you for not going out with the officials as losers. Dude, that's like they get like the emeritus on that. They they they're every week, every week. The Robert Woodard thing from from Auburn, he didn't touch him. He literally did not. You come out on the block. Him. Yeah, and, well, no, 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 no. Uh, on the uh, uh, Malik Dunbar went for a layup. Woodard was close to him, but literally did not touch him, and was called for a flagrant two. Flagrant two. Yeah, because, he, I mean, the guy hit the ground, and I guess they're trying to say he didn't give him any room, but, I mean, flagrant too. Mm-hmm. He didn't touch I him. I missed that. Oh, yeah, I've got a video if you want to see it. Yeah, I was trying to watch in the airport on the way. There was another one, and it may have been one that went against Auburn where they got a block on a breakaway, and, I mean, it was the, the definition of all ball, but it was a hard foul, and you go with a couple of free throws out of it. Uh, the uh, the questionable decision making of the guys in the striped shirts rolls on. At some point, I will share with you some conversations that I've had with multiple coaches in the SEC with regard to the uh, the officiating. Their opinions flaming hot. Uh, Rippy, Rippy, the Lakers lose oh. to the Bucks, lose to the Suns. The season's over. LeBron looks like a hypocrite. There is literally no backup plan. They either get Anthony Davis or it is a complete and abject disaster. They've kind of backed themselves, pigeonholed themselves to where that's literally their only option. So, good luck. Why is LeBron a hypocrite? Well, I mean, he's asking, he's questioning his teammates whether that their basketball is like the most important thing in their life when he's got a rap album coming out. He's spotted in a recording studio the night before a game. Doing um, HBO oh, and he's promoting shows. Space, yeah. Yeah, Space Jam 2. Space Jam 2, two years out. So you think maybe it's not the most important thing in his life right now? When you move to the city where all your business associates are in the film industry, I would say no. Maybe he's got the ability to compartmentalize. Doesn't look like it. Yeah, then I wouldn't accuse others when you're not like of not compartmentalizing, when, especially when you don't play defense. Mm. I hate both of you. Let's take a look at uh, Ole Miss's game against Arkansas when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. We're back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Haydad, let's rewind to the beginning of the show. All right. Because in a classic case of hear exactly what you want to hear, there's some folks that are uh, going back and forth. I don't. I, I guess it's the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed. It's Sports Talk M I S S. Uh, people are are mad at me for saying. Well, I'm not even sure what they're mad at me for saying. For saying that I thought that. This must be in your mentions, man. I'm not seeing it on Sports. Yeah, Talk. I think it is. That Montez Sweat would either be a top 15, maybe a top 10 pick. And you went with the he's going above. You think he deserves to go above Joey Bosa. Right, and I hesitated on that a little bit, and now it's you've hired somebody to cover Mississippi State. How dare you disagree with their opinion? <laughs> it's just an opinion, man. You're like, huh? screw that. I asked for you to change my mind, and you don't want to go with that. But but you're allowed to have an opinion. If you don't agree my, with it, that's fine. But my opinion is not based on which one of those guys I think is the better player necessarily. My opinion's based on kind of watching how the draft works, and I don't think that Montez Sweat is going to be taken above Joey Bosa. Mm-hmm. I don't grade Nick, players. Nick Bosa. Sorry, Nick Bosa. 
Yeah. I don't grade the players. There are people that are a whole lot smarter with regard to analyzing players than I am. But the majority of people say Nick Bosa is the best player in the draft. Yeah, quarterbacks always throw a wrench into that, but like just play, player. Yeah. Not for a second questioning Montez Sweat or the unbelievable combine he had or the fact that somebody is probably going to take him in the top 10, at worst in the top 15. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right in that, you know, every mock draft you look at, Bosa has been, Bosa's been the first pick in most of them. Now that Kyler Murray has sort of emerged and then you're talking about maybe he could, you know, be the guy there, and that's fine. But, yeah, Bosa's been the guy all year. I mean, there's a reason that he didn't come back from, you know, that injury this year because he knew he was going to be the top pick and decided, you know, probably better to not risk it. And and that's what he did, and, you know, more power to him. Um, all right, let me ask you a question. You you say uh, – I'm not even disagreeing you with you with mm-hmm. you saying Montez Sweat might be better. Mm-hmm. Which one's going to be drafted higher? Bosa. Is there anybody that disagrees with that? Anonymous Twitter guy. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't. If you disagree with that, you're not keeping up with the NFL draft. I mean, do I? I what I'm, what I am saying, what I, my, my point I was trying to make earlier was, if I were picking and I needed a defensive end, I would pick Montez Sweat over Joe, over Nick Bosa. I think we've seen the production, we've seen what he, he can do at the combine. He looks like he's the total package. Uh, why not take him? I think that the upside might be higher there. But I am not an NFL GM, nor am I a draft analyst, and they were here. They are here to tell you that that Bosa is going to go ahead of Sweat. If you had not watched, not. if you had not watched Montez Sweat play the last twenty six games in person, mm-hmm. would that still be your opinion? I don't know. That's a good question. You know, because I mean, I haven't watched. I have never watched Nick Bosa play a game in person. I've seen him on television plenty of times, and he's always mm-hmm. you know been a big time player for Ohio State when he was healthy. Um, so I mean that's a good that's a good point, but I mean just for me, Montez Sweat has been a guy that I've just been intrigued with since states since he committed to Mississippi State because I saw his frame and I was just like this guy just looks like he's going to be able to get after the quarterback, and he did you know and he he exceeded my expectations as a junior, came back as a senior had a, another strong season, and you know, I, I mean, I'm just I was sort of taken by I did not think he was going to run four four one I just not, never in my wildest dreams. Did I think that? And I made the point on the Thunder and Lightning podcast that, you know, we had really never seen that. I had a Twitter user point out that he had done one scoop and score in his career at Mississippi State, but it was called back on penalty. But there was never a time where you saw Sweat get the ball in the open field somehow and his takeoff running. So I had no idea what his top line speed was going to be. But man, I was just really, really impressed with that. And like I said, the guy's been the best pass rusher in the SEC basically for the past two seasons. And and that to me is that with, combined with with the physical skills, it makes sense for me to, to say I would take him, you know, higher than I would take Nick Bosa. Just 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 for me, maybe I'm a homer, so be it. I don't know if four four one matters when you're a defensive end, mm-hmm. but that is moving yeah. for a dude that size. Well, what it tells you is if you want to make him a three four outside linebacker. You don't have to take him off the field if you want him to go into coverage. He's got the speed and the athleticism to go out there and cover guys. And, you, and But, I mean, that said, his skill is pass rushing, so why would you have him drop into coverage? But you could. You could on a zone blitz or something like that. Yeah. 
Basketball note, we'll switch gears. Ole Miss loses a game that they had a three-point lead in in the final minute. Borky, you say it's the third time that's happened this season? Yeah, Florida, Tennessee, and now Arkansas. So they dropped that one on uh, Saturday at Arkansas. The final in Fayetteville was 74-73. Razorbacks win it by one. That's on the heels of Ole Miss losing by two to Tennessee on Wednesday night. Ole Miss got 20 points out of Brian Tyree. Uh, Devontae Shuler had 12. Bruce Stevens had 12. Terrence Davis came off the bench, did not start because he practiced poorly the day before the game. So on Friday, he had 12 points in the game as well. Arkansas, uh, numbers that are important, not so much the individual scoring, um, although Mason Jones did have 22 points. 9 of 18 from 3. 9 of 18, including 6 of 8 from Mason Jones. And 27 of 49 from the field, they shot 55%. And Ole Miss turned it over, what, a bunch, right? 16 times in the game. I think 11 in the second half. Those are not numbers that add up, generally speaking, to winning. No, and the turnover thing was a bit uncharacteristic because they have taken taken care of the ball pretty well, particularly late in games, but they had three or four possessions in the final four minutes of the game that were just really, really bad. And I think the last, their last two offensive possessions before the final play debacle was kind of everything that's great about Brian Tyree and frustrating at times too. He makes a really contested shot mid range to kind of to put them up three, um, really tough shot, really big shot with about a minute left, and then turns it over on the next possession, gets the ball poked away from him. And their real problem is those they can't get key stops down the stretch, can't get stops in general really when it when it matters to win games. The play that... Well, let's go two plays, because it was kind of consecutive plays that won it for Arkansas. The first play, um, Jalen Harris, their point guard, who's not much of a scorer, or hasn't been much of a scorer, has a play kind of break down on him. Arkansas is attempting to get it inside to Daniel Gafford. And they ran... They they defended that part of the, the action well. Like, Dom gets around the screen... I don't remember who came to double him. It may have been Schuler. I, I don't remember who was standing there. But they deny the entry pass, and then after that, it just not very good. They reverse the ball. Um, Harris has a wide open driving lane. Dom's the last line of the def- last line of defense. He lays it over him off the top of the glass. So Jalen Harris goes from like the left wing on a straight line toward the basket. Nobody cuts him off, and he just scoops it high off the glass and gets it to fall. That leaves 5.9 seconds to go in the game. And so all of a sudden the odds are not in your favor, but you're expecting to get a shot off. Ole Miss lines up after an Arkansas timeout, or maybe it was an Ole Miss timeout. They've got their play called. Arkansas sees how Ole Miss is lined up with Brian Tyree throwing the ball in. They take a timeout. Ole Miss comes out with the same alignment, again with Brian Tyree triggering it in, he throws it into Dominic Olenicek. There's been debate as to whether or not he should be in the board at, uh, on the floor at all. Kermit Davis says it's a play that they've been running for a long, long, long time. I don't think the execution from Olenicek was exactly what it was supposed to be, but then the play just completely fell apart because of what Arkansas did defensively. Yeah, I mean, a lot of teams. I mean, a lot of teams across the country run the play. I mean, it's 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 when you're assuming the guard you're trying to get the ball to is going to be denied the in, the inbounds pass, so you kind of alleviate the pressure by inbounding it to someone else, usually a big man, and it, he comes by him on a handoff with his momentum going to the rim. But 
I, I mean, I struggle to criticize it too terribly because if it's something they'd run for a while and like, you, yes, it's Dom, but like, are you really asking him to do that much? You're asking him to hand the ball off. But the thing was, I like, like all it was was Tyree inbounding the ball. Like there was no rub or anything to get him space before the handoff. Dom catches it really deep in the backcourt, and then Kermit Davis really was upset with Dom at the end of it for not handing it off. But if you look at how it was defended, I'm not sure that was a reasonable ask. Like Harris was in between Dom and Tyree, and like. It looks as if a handoff would have ended very poorly. Play ended poorly regardless. Ole Miss did not get a shot off. Arkansas grabs it, and they secure the win on a day in which they are celebrating the 1994 National Championship team, so 25 years later. A big crowd and a disappointing loss. And it leaves Ole Miss with work to do this week, you think, with regard to getting in the NCAA tournament. Two games remaining, Kentucky tomorrow night. And then on Saturday, they go to Missouri for the final game of the regular season. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. If you want to be part of the conversation, you can on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Richard Cross, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad. Michael Borky. A couple of things you need to know about. Be listening to the JT Show tomorrow to find out how you can win tickets to see widespread panic. Known worldwide for some of their incredible concerts, panic will be at the Brandon Amphitheater on Friday, June 7th and Saturday, June 8th. Tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. But if you don't want to buy them, figure out how you can win them with JT on the JT Show. 10 to 1 tomorrow. Hey, Dad, what about Auburn? Uh, you said you were looking forward to going to that building for the first time. What did you think of the environment? Uh, you know, it wasn't – the crowd was loud, but it, it wasn't anything that, you know, I've, I've heard louder in, in different arenas. But that said, the arena itself is fantastic. And my, my first thought was, you know, Mississippi State is going through this process now of talking about renovating the hump, and I just – I don't see it now. I don't see how you can make a, the, the Humphrey Coliseum into a, a facility like what Auburn has. I, I don't see that. So I, if, I'm, if I'm John Cohen, my, my first thought is maybe we should consider a complete overhaul or a new, a new facility. I don't know what the money situation. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying from my perspective. But that's, it's a fantastic arena. The crowd was definitely into it, and, and Auburn gave them the reason to be into it because they jumped out of Mississippi State pretty early. Uh... <sighs> I don't know where you start, kind of when you're, you're taking apart the box score. Eighty to seventy-five, Auburn gets the win. They were up eight at the half. Mississippi State outscores them fifty to forty-seven in the second half. I wasn't able to watch all the game, and I watched most of the last ten minutes or so. And Auburn went from completely in control to seemed like they were kind of hanging on for dear life and couldn't hold on to the basketball. Turned it over left and right. Gave up a bunch of fast breaks in the last five minutes of the game. Was that kind of a weird ending to the game? It was. I mean, Auburn was in control. It was sixty-nine to fifty uh, when when uh, I, I, who was the, the three? Maybe Brown. And at that point, I mean, State's down nineteen, and you just think, okay, well, this game is pretty pretty much over. Uh, but instead, State does put together a pretty nice run. But it was very reminiscent of the games against uh, Alabama and Kentucky earlier this year, where State just dug themselves too big a hole. They got it 
cut down to four at 71-67, had the ball, uh, missed a shot, and then Auburn comes down on the other end, and then a ball gets poked out and just lands right in, uh, I believe, Bryce Brown's hand again, and he hits a corner three, pushes the lead back to seven, and then the game was pretty much over at that point. They were under a minute. Um, so they, and they had some opportunities, you know, but we've been talking about this for a while. You know, Keyshawn Fazell played, it says zero minutes. My guess is he came in at the very end, but uh, – you're only playing seven guys. If you're not going to get, but if you're getting zero points from Adu and only four from from Peters, I mean, if you're only playing seven guys, you got to get more out of those out of, out of the guys on the court. And that's I mean, what's hey, Dad, it, it's same right song, different verse, right? I mean, it yeah. feels like we're talking about the the game from Tuesday night all over again. Yeah, it's it's just you know. Perry's great, obviously, 10 points, 14 rebounds. Q gets a double-double. He's got 25 and 11. Tyson Carter was the, the guy who sparked that run in the second half with 21 points, uh, hit a bunch of key three-pointers. But the rest of the guys combined have got uh, 19 points. I mean, you just, you're just not going to win with four guys not getting you 20 points combined. And that's just that's something that's just not going to happen. So for State, you know, they've got to get – it doesn't matter who it is. You know, it doesn't matter if it's Woodard, Holman, Peters, or Adu, but somebody has got to become a little bit more of a reliable scorer for them. They at least get them eight to ten points per game, and if they can get that, I feel like they can win a lot of games. And, and you know, as the postseason starts to heat up, but if they can't, I, I don't know how far this team can go into March. I, I feel like it's probably time to stop asking asking the question, "What's going on with Abdul Adu?" Because you know, just kind of is. But Auburn is not a team that's got a front court where you go, oh, yeah, uh, that's not shocking to me that a dude doesn't take a shot, doesn't score, and has only four rebounds in the game. I mean, Auburn's a team that Abdul Adu theoretically could kind of take advantage of some in the, in the front court because they're banged up and you don't have Wiley in the mix. Uh, did Wiley end up playing at all? No, he didn't. No, he was out. He was out. So Malik Dunbar was back. You got Chumo Kiki, who kind of plays all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Horace Spence, Spencer gives him 16 minutes. But with, with Auburn's front court, there's no way that you can explain and make me understand how in 24 minutes, Abdul Adu doesn't take a shot, doesn't take a free throw, doesn't score, and has only four rebounds. The only thing I can think, Richard, is. Because he's one of those guys who sort of feeds his defense into offense. He didn't get to play much defense because Auburn, like you said, not a whole lot of front court going on there. And then if you look at their front court starters, Anthony McLemore played a lot out on the perimeter. He was four of six from beyond the arc. And that's something that Ben Hallen said, you know, you can't really expect that. He's not a great three point shooter, but he was able to hit those. And I think if you had told me on, on Friday that Jared Harper was only going to have 10 points on two of 10 shooting, I'd have felt pretty good about Mississippi State's chances to win this game. But for Adu, yeah, I mean, he just he was a complete non-factor on both ends on Saturday. And like I said, if you're only going to play seven guys, you can't have anybody be a non-factor. No points, four rebounds, no block shots, three turnovers, three fouls. Just not just not his best game by, by far. And, and here maybe is the more shocking thing. If I had said to you... I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, Abdul is going to play 24 minutes against Auburn, and he's not going to take a shot, and he's not going to score. You wouldn't have been, like, shocked. Right. If I had told you Lamar Peters, as part of a seven-man rotation, is going to only play 24 minutes in the game, I mean, never mind what he does. The fact that he only plays 24 minutes when you're only playing seven guys. Yeah. 
You, you would have looked at me like I had three eyes and two noses. I don't. I don't have advanced stats. I would love to know what his plus minus was for uh, for Saturday because I thought State played a lot better when Lamar Peters was not in the game on Saturday. Uh, they they made a run in the first half with him out. They made their run in the second half through Tyson and Q. I think Peters was out there just because you know who else are you going to put out there with him? But it, it, he just did not play well. He, he's 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 doing this thing now where he'll drive to the rim and he's he's almost there all he has to do is you know either lay it up it's either going to get you know it might get blocked but more than likely it's either you're either going to score or get fouled and he will wait to the last possible second and whip it out to a guy for a three-pointer who's not really that open and it seems like he's just lost his confidence in his ability to score uh he has not yeah. had he's only had one double digit game i think since the uh since they told us that he was he hurt his wrist before the old miss game and he just has not he just hasn't looked like the guy that last year would sometimes fire up without conscience and just rain three-pointers on opponents. He has not been that guy this year. And like I said, you know, like you said, it's, it's, not, it's not going to work for Mississippi State if they're not getting a bigger contribution from, contribution from him, especially when you look at, you know, it would be one thing if he had, you know, seven, eight assists. He only had two assists and four turnovers. That's, yeah. that's just not going to work for Mississippi State. Eighteen nine and seven games. in league play, twenty-one and eight overall. Projected as a sixth seed in the tournament. None of that's in question, right? Um, my question is: final two games of the regular season on the road against Tennessee. It is hard, hard. And looking at the way that Tennessee played, and knowing that that is senior night in Knoxville, to see a way that Mississippi State wins that game, not impossible, but it's hard to see how it happens. And then they come home for A&M on the final Saturday, and you expect them to win that game, right? Right. I do. I expect them to win that game, but like you said, Texas A&M has been playing a little bit better as of late. But the fact that it's at home should should be enough to get Mississippi State through. And I, I don't know how much I really take from, you know, if they lose to Tennessee and they're on a little bit of a two-game losing streak. I don't know how much I really take from that. I don't think it, like you said, it, it affects anything as far as seeding or the tournament goes. My question that I asked uh, on the podcast, and I'll ask you now, is do you think that there was a lot put into the idea that beating Missouri punched the ticket? Do you think that maybe that caused a letdown? Hmm. I, you know, maybe. But a letdown from who? Right, I mean, from the team from from Mississippi no, no, State. No, 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 no. I understand what you're saying. I, I understand the question you're asking. Mm-hmm. But when I say a letdown from who, I mean, Q Weatherspoon hasn't had a letdown. Yeah. Tyson Carter hasn't had a letdown. Reggie Perry hasn't had a letdown. Those are the three guys that make you go. I just, I, I, I think the whole only playing seven players is part of it. And a complete disappearing act by Lamar Peters is part of it. Yeah. Yeah, P- Peters has got to be – he's got to give MSU more offensively. He just does. And if he can't, it's going to be really hard for MSU to advance very far into the postseason. Is – you think Reggie Perry draws the Grant Williams assignment? <laughs> that would be, that'd be a fun matchup to watch, I'll tell you that. Probably so. Probably so. You, you know what I'm going to be watching if those two guys are matched up with each other? Hmm. I'm going to be watching to see who the referees are. Yeah, you're right, because that, that'll it, be a physical matchup. Because is the SEC player that you're going to get the benefit of the doubt? If he does, that spells Reggie Perry in foul trouble early. If yeah. they allow those two guys to play, 
That's kind of an epic battle that could last for 40 minutes. Yeah. We'll see. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, 5 o'clock hour. On this Monday afternoon, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott, Rippy, glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. You want to be a part of the conversation, you can do so. We'd love for you to be do so on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. Hey, I didn't know this, guys. I mentioned daylight savings time. Barry and Laurel says there's a bill in the House to keep that time permanent. There's a few states trying to get that done, and at this point, I don't know why they can't just band together. And, well, never mind, we're talking about D.C. They can't band together and do anything. We couldn't get everybody in Congress to agree that the sun is coming up tomorrow, but it seems like that would be a no-brainer. Mountain Parts of mountain time don't do daylight savings. Yeah, Arizona. Yeah, Arizona does not do it. I don't think, is it Indianapolis that doesn't change one way or the other? I think they're parts of Indiana. I'm not sure if it's Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah. it's a little confusing. Uh, anyway, right now it's time for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. They've got the F-150 best-selling truck in America, 42 straight years. That is consistency. Test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. All right, so what about Indianapolis? Speaking of Indianapolis, the combine. And these numbers are ridiculous. DK Metcalf, Montez Sweat kind of stole the show. Is there anybody else who generated more headlines at the Combine than those two guys? Not even close. The rest of the Combine combined, and I'm not even saying this because I'm in Mississippi, I'm gauging what national shows and national guys on social media said, Montez Sweat and DK Metcalf were a bigger story than the rest of the Combine combined. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, did anybody else make any kind of a splash like they did? No. Well, I mean, ask yourself, who? I mean, right off the top of your head, who had a big day that we're going to talk the about? The linebacker from LSU was... Devin White, yeah. Devin White had, had a really good day. But, you know, he's a good player, and I think we all expected him to have a good day. But that's, I mean, that's it. And nobody else... I mean, 6'6", 260, ran a 4'1", which is better than most elite wide receivers in the NFL right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there wasn't a quarterback, right? I mean, Drew Locke no. had a good day, but people well, only are writing about this. it because he's a quarterback. Dwayne Haskins ran a five oh four, which is shocking because I was told he's more of a runner. Who told you he was more of a runner? <laughs> Stephen, Stephen A. Smith. Smith told us that. That's right. That's right. Uh, is Stephen A. Smith the only person on the planet that thought that was the case? That is preposterous. Yeah, he didn't think that was the case. He didn't know what the case was and just had to say something. Yeah. And made certain inferences that in other scenarios would get people fired. Fact. Because his inferences would have been perceived as racist. 
Yes. Precisely. We don't have to dance around the issue. We can call it what it is. Okay, well, he gets a pass. Because Stephen A. Smith is a black man, about a court black quarterback, he can say, oh, he's fast, he's going to run well. Well, it's the truth. He didn't run well. He did not run well. But guess what? He's still a good quarterback. He's still going to be a top five pick because he's a great quarterback, but he's not a runner. Uh, Montez Sweat, 6'6", 260. Is that a little heavier than you thought maybe he would weigh in? No, that, that sounds about right. That sounds okay. about right for what I thought for him. Uh, ran a four four one forty. That is blazing. Twenty one times. What's unfathomable? That man at that size running that forty is unfathomable. Four four one forty. Bench two twenty five twenty one times. Yeah, and he's got the longest arms you'll ever see. I mean, he's one of those guys who can scratch his knees without bending over. So, not surprised he didn't have a, a great bench. 36-inch vertical jump. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's 6'6", too. I mean, my gosh. Try to get, think about a quarterback trying to throw a ball over, over uh, Montez Sweat, jumping at him. That's not happening. 125-inch broad jump. Where, where does, uh, other than just athleticism... Why does a broad jump matter? Why is that one of the drills we still go through at the combine? Is it as simple as just measuring athleticism? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's explosiveness. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's uh, what's that? Uh, Ten feet. Wow. I mean, wouldn't you want, especially offensive and defensive linemen? Wouldn't you rather test their squat endurance instead of their bench endurance? Yeah, they do a I lot mean, of tests at the combine. Like, what do you need a quarterback's wingspan for? It's not going to be we saw that on anyone. Some Seahawks uh, executive engaged somebody in the staring contest. I saw. What some guy? Some guy got asked if he had two testicles. Did y'all see that? No, no, I'm serious. I'm not. No, I know you're up. serious. It's still funny <laughs> okay. to hear it though. That's who, just, it doesn't. I don't understand. Who, who asked the question? Why was that of relevance? I, I think it was. It was one of those private conversations. So it's one of those things where they ask the players, obviously without giving away who asked it, what team, what scout. Sure. Okay. Why was he? Well, what did he see on field? That like, you know what? I don't know if this guy has both testicles. We should ask um, him that when we get to the combine. Maybe his center of gravity was off. I don't know. But it seems like a weird question. Well, Montez Sweat ran a seven-second three-cone drill. Yeah. Which is pretty good. It's especially good for the position that he plays. Yeah, that's good for a wide receiver, seven seconds. Well, we're, we're going to compare it in just a second. Yeah. yeah. He also had a 4.29 20-yard shuttle run. That's change of direction stuff. Yeah. That's really, really good. High-level athleticism is what we'll say. All right. Another guy who's got high-level athleticism, DK Metcalf. Six three two twenty eight. You've seen all the pictures of him—the sub two percent body fat, et cetera, et cetera. He ran a four three three forty yard dash, blazing. If Al Davis was still alive, he'd be the first pick of the. They would trade the whole draft to get him. They would trade him. up to get him. Yes. Yes. He benched 225 27 times, which, again, the point that you were making about Montez Sweat holds up here. He's got long yeah. arms. Yeah. 
Just a rip. forty and a half inch vertical jump. A one hundred thirty four inch broad jump. Now, couple of numbers, and I know we're dealing in tenths of a second. So you go, what are you talking about, Richard? That caused people to raise their eyebrows a bit. His three cone time, which is the kind of get down low, change directions drill, was 7.38. That's not great. Right? Right. For a wide receiver that is that fast, that shows an inability to quickly change directions. And the concern there is straight line speed's fine and good, but your ability to get open. At the NFL, a lot of time is your is based on your ability to change directions, or figure out how to push off without getting called for it. <laughs> and then his shuttle run time was four point five on that twenty yard shuttle. So I mean, you're not, you're talking about two tenths of a second difference in a twenty yard shuttle in what Montez Sweat did and what DK Metcalf did. I don't know if that points more to the amazing athleticism of Montez Sweat. Or if it's a little bit of a check mark against DK Metcalf, it's kind of a combination of both, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And we talked about that on Friday, though. We talked about is he so ripped that it's going to hurt his ability to to be flexible and change directions and things like that. And it looks like, to some extent, that's the case. I don't think it's going to hurt him too much in the draft. He's still going to be a first round pick. He still might be a top fifteen pick. But it definitely, you know, there's a little check mark there. People are going to want to see a little bit more. You know, we'll see what he does at Ole Miss's pro day, uh, when that, whenever that is. And he needs that. That's a question that needs to be answered. I mean, he would be a perfect complimentary receiver to somebody that's already got like a Stephon Diggs, right? Yeah. Where he can he can play the outside, where he's comfortable, and be that big body, that red zone threat. Where you have the other guy that works the middle of the field and keeps the defense honest. Also, eye-popping numbers from a Mississippi guy. Zedrick Woods from Ole Miss ran a 4.2940. That is the fastest 40-yard dash in this year's combine. Moving. Um, given the performances at the combine for Mississippi State players and Ole Miss players, are you more frustrated with the results of the season? Absolutely. A little bit, yeah. You have to. It, it tells a lot, especially about who was calling plays in Oxford. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.